he looked at love, joy, peace, and patience. And today we come to the subject of kindness. And we said at the outset of this series that in order for us to actually understand what these things are, we need to look at the character of God, revealed in the personal work of Jesus and also revealed to us in Scripture. Because otherwise we, we have a flawed understanding of what these fruits are. Our understanding of patience is, is flawed and shallow if it just comes from our dealings with people rather than our understanding of God as he reveals himself to us and as he deals with us. And the same is true of kindness. We also said at the start of this series that these aren't like targets that we kind of grit our teeth and try our best to accomplish. And when we fail to, we beat ourselves up for being bad Christians. It's like, oh, I just need to, I need to be more kind. I need to be more patient. Like, I'm so impatient to be more patient. Instead, this is the fruit of the Spirit. And as such, this is what happens in the lives and hearts of people who surrender themselves to God and say, God, would you have your way with me? Would you fill me by your Spirit? Would you grow your character in me? You know, one of the main reasons the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people is to make them more like Jesus, to form in us the character of Christ. That's, that's a large part of why we have the Holy Spirit. And so these fruit of the Spirit are a result of us coming to God and saying, Lord, I, I can see what you're like in your goodness, your gentleness, your patience, your love. And I recognize that I'm, I'm not quite like that. Lord, would you grow it in me? Would you form your likeness in me? Would you cause me to be more like you? And so we're going to look today at the subject of kindness. And we, we need to look at the kindness of God if we're going to understand it, just like with all of these fruit. And so we're going to spend most of our time in some verses from Titus chapter 3 where we read about the kindness of God towards people. But before we go there, I want us to quickly uh, just acknowledge that our cultural understanding of kindness is somewhat lacking compared to what we're going to see in Scripture. So if we begin with a dictionary definition of kindness, we find that kindness is a bit like the word nice. Like it's, it's kind of somewhat lacking in substance, really. It's one of those words that's a bit kind of woolly, a bit nebulous, Actually, the definition we find in, in the dictionary for kindness is the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. And you kind of think, yeah, it's, it's all right. <laughs> it's, it's in some ways a slightly nothingness. But the word that is translated kindness for us in Galatians 5, when we read that list of the fruit of the Spirit, is not actually that much like our definition of the word kindness. It, it does convey those things, but it conveys something much more, much deeper, much more practical, actually. 
the word that we have translated there and in other places in the New Testament, including the passage in Titus that we're going to spend most of our time in today, is a much more practical word than our word kindness. It's about action. It's, it, it conveys a sense of useful kindness or service. It's about serving others in a way that meets need whilst avoiding harshness or cruelty. It's really important we get this, and we're going to see it as we go through. This is a very practical word that costs something to serve others, to meet the needs of others in a way that is gentle and humble and loving, not harsh or critical, but a a giving of yourself to serve others. That's kindness. And it helps us avoid, when we understand that, this kind of mushy, slightly sentimental, cultural view of kindness that we probably tend to think of when we hear the word. It's a kind of kindness that the word that we have in the New Testament, what it conveys is this sort of behavior that if you saw someone about to step into a situation that would bring them harm, then it's a kindness to warn them, to look out for them, but to warn them in a way that isn't harsh or cruel. And we get a picture of this uh, elsewhere in the New Testament where the same word gets used in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 25. We want to go there very quickly because I think it helps us flesh out our understanding of what kindness is supposed to look like in our lives. So we read this. This is in the context of a bit of teaching to Timothy from Paul about how to deal with false teachers and people that would stir up trouble in the church. People who are in their false teaching and they're stirring up trouble, causing harm actually to themselves and to others. And in talking to Timothy about how they should be dealt with, we read these words, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, even those who are stirring up trouble. Kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, This is part of what kindness looks like. Actually, not biting back or repaying wrong for wrong, but patiently enduring when you're mistreated. And then we read this, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. These people who are causing trouble in the church stirring it up, doing evil towards leaders, in this case in the church. Paul says the the godly Christian leader is to be kind to them, even while they're stirring up trouble, and is to be gentle as he brings correction. It wouldn't be kindness to just let them go on in what they're doing. It wouldn't be kindness to them or to the rest of the church. It wouldn't be kindness to just go, you know, agree to disagree. It's fine. No, kindness is is bringing correction, but doing it gently and lovingly, not harshly and critically, but gently bringing correction. 
with a desire and a hope that actually they might turn from their false teaching, that they might turn and repent and be restored and find hope in Jesus. That's kindness. Kindness, then, is working for the ultimate good of those who wish you harm. That's what's going on here. These people are doing harm, causing harm, and Paul says, you're to be kind to them, and you're to desire their good, (laughs) their ultimate good in this. That's what kindness looks like. It's the kind or the sort of kindness that we're called to. We need to let that sink in, because I, I think we so easily, culturally, have a very shallow view of kindness. In fact, people throw around phrases like this. You've maybe seen some things like this. Kindness doesn't cost a thing. Kindness is free to give, but priceless to receive. Or, kindness is free. Sprinkle that stuff everywhere. And like, they sound nice. And I understand the sentiment. I think the problem with these kind of phrases is that they actually miss the point about true kindness. That's the fact that that true kindness is costly. It, it, It will cost you to be truly kind to others. Like, it isn't free. It isn't easy, actually, true kindness. So with that in mind, we're going to read together from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, and we'll dig in together. I just want to pray, and then we'll open it up. Lord, as we come to your word today, I pray that you would help us to be ready to receive ready to hear what you would speak to us. Lord, I I pray would you help me to explain and to make your word clear and plain. Lord, that I wouldn't get in the way. Lord, I pray that we would know you speaking to us today. We would see clearly what you would want to do in us and speak to us and form in us, what you would want to reveal to us about you and ourselves in the light of that. We just submit ourselves to your word now. We say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Amen. Okay, so we read from Titus 3, beginning at verse 1. Remind them, that's a leader in the church is being instructed to remind the Christians, the believers in Crete, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. The Christians in Crete, and in turn us, are reminded to do some things, to be submissive to authorities, to government, to our bosses, to be ready for every good work to speak evil of no one, to not criticize and backbite and gossip and slander about people, to avoid quarreling, like don't chase down every needless argument, like be peaceable, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy. Guys, this description here sounds quite a lot like kindness. 
In fact, in many ways, it's, it's an unpacking of what it looks like to be kind and what that word conveys. And Paul says to Titus, this is, instruct the church in Crete. This is what they're supposed to be like. And as we read it, we read it and go, this is what we're supposed to be like. This is how we're supposed to interact with others. This is how we're supposed to demonstrate kindness. But here's the rub. It says towards all people. To everyone. <laughs> and I think we can read it and we're thinking like, yeah? And then we get to the, to everyone. And we go, ah. Oh. <laughs> like, like, everyone, everyone? Because if you're anything like me, and if you're prepared to be honest with yourself, then when you hear that, I think you probably have a little internal conversation that goes something like this. Like, everyone? Everyone, everyone? Like, what? Them? Because you're thinking of someone who you, you find it hard to be like that towards for some reason. And the response of Scripture is, yeah, them too. And this hit right at the heart of it. Kindness is costly. It's not cheap, and it's certainly not easy. And if we're honest, because of that, I think we precondition our kindness. And I explain what I mean by that. I think we precondition our kindness towards people in two main ways. Firstly, I think we do it based on our perception of the potential recipient of our kindness. We do it based on our perception of the other person. And if we think, in our opinion, they are deserving of our kindness, then we will extend kindness towards them. And we justify our lack of kindness... with thoughts or maybe even comments like they don't deserve it you know what they did you know what they said you know what they're like or even things like this sometimes like what have they ever done for me like why should i be kind to them what have they ever done to me what have they ever done for me? See, instinctively, we look for reciprocal relationships. We, we want to treat people in kind according to the way they have treated us. Generally, as humans, that's how we tend to operate, consciously or otherwise. We want to treat people in kind rather than in kindness. Flowing out of that, first, I think the second way that we precondition our kindness is one that we're probably less likely to feel okay with admitting or less comfortable admitting to. I think all of us probably hear that first when we go, yeah, I can do that sometimes. Like I, I, I do find myself kind of judging whether I think someone's deserving of kindness. But I think the second way we do it 
that is probably in some way there in all of us is that, and this is very uncomfortable to, to confront, and I confront this in my own heart this week as I've prayed and prepared for Sunday, is that I think we're far more inclined to express kindness to someone if we stand to gain something from them or someone else in return for our kindness towards them. So subconsciously, probably more often than consciously processing it, I think we're far more inclined, and we see this all around us, right? We're far more inclined to be kind or extend kindness towards someone if we think we stand to gain something back from them in return or from someone else for our kindness. If someone else sees us be kind to someone, we may gain something back from them. That works out in all kinds of ways. So this may sound like a very cynical view, but we make a massive deal of TV charity appeals, and people, it doesn't do people's reputation any harm appearing in those TV charity appeals, actually. I know that sounds like a very cynical view, but I think sometimes we can do good for others because we know that it in turn, will do us good, do our reputation good, or actually, for someone, we think, well, if I'm kind to them, they'll be kind back to me. We do it based on a reciprocal view of the relationship. Maybe to just flip that on its head, and this is not a very comfortable thing to, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep talking about it for a minute. On the flip side, I think, on the whole, we are much less likely to be kind or generous to someone when we don't think we stand to gain anything from doing so. And one way we can observe this is the fact that actually powerful and wealthy people, and this is observable, Powerful and wealthy people are, on the whole, there are exceptions, I need to clarify, are, on the whole, less likely to treat others with kindness. I'm not bashing powerful and wealthy people, okay? And that's not just a hunch, either. So I'm not having a go at anyone, and it's not just like, oh, that's just a hunch because I don't like people who've got lots of money or something. That's not... So, clearly, it's not an absolute absolute rule for everyone, but it is an observable trend, actually. Sociologists look at this kind of stuff. It's an observable trend, to the extent that an article in Forbes magazine written a few years ago confidently asserted that rich people are mean. In the article, they cited the relationship between economic status and negative psychological characteristics, such as a dearth of empathy insensitivity towards other people, the tendency to cheat and even be a selfish and impatient road user. And they looked at all these studies that actually <laughs> looked at people who were in positions of power or high status or had a large amount of money, they, they behave in a more entitled way and they're actually much less likely to extend kindness towards people. 
And this quote from the article says this, the evidence is fairly convincing. People of higher socioeconomic status can be somewhat lacking in the kindness department. Why? Why, why is that the case? Many of you have heard a famous quote about this kind of behavior. Lord Acton reputedly said, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And with the greatest respect to Lord Acton, I don't actually think that's entirely true. Because I think that view places the problem too much out there and not nearly enough in here. See, remember the first way that we can tend to precondition our kindness. We all make exceptions. We all think there are people who don't deserve our kindness. And the second, well, if it's about treating in kind based on what we stand to gain, then someone who has a lot will not be motivated in quite the way as someone who has very little. It's easier, perhaps, for someone who is in a position of power or great wealth to think, well, you know what? I don't actually have to be kind to you to get what I want. Either because you have nothing to offer me or because I have the power over you to get it from you anyway. I don't think there's anything inherently worse or more selfish about wealthy and powerful people than there is about anyone else on this planet. But I think that a title, money, or power sometimes allows people to do what most of us would do given the opportunity. The issue isn't money or influence or title. The issue is the human heart. And yet we read here in Titus 3 that as Christians, we're called to show kindness to everyone without exception, without precondition. That's hard, isn't it? That is hard. There are people who I know feel less inclined to show kindness towards. I just know that about myself. I'm not proud of that fact, but I'd be lying if I said it weren't true. And my guess is that that's the same for you. That when I say you're to extend true, sacrificial, putting them first, their needs above your needs, kindness, to everyone, that there'll be exceptions you want to make from that instinctively. There'll be some names who you're quite happy to say, yeah, kindness towards them, and others where it sticks in your throat. Just I... This sort of kindness is costly. It's really costly. But as we read on, we'll find two compelling motivations to exercise this kind of kindness. 
and our excuses and objections get addressed as we read on. So let's read on from verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Paul says, outside of Jesus, apart from his kindness, apart from his saving work in your life, apart from the Holy Spirit changing you, moving you from death to life, putting in you a heart that wants to please God instead of be self-serving, apart from him, apart from his work, you're no different to them. Whoever it is that you think, I want them to be my exception. He says, hey, 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 just wait a minute. How did you stand apart from Christ? Don't look down your nose at someone else and think they don't deserve your kindness. When you're tempted to say, what, even them? But don't you know what they've done? God's word gently comes alongside and says, yeah, you too, you too. Stop trying to make exceptions. Acknowledge that you'd be on someone else's exception list too. Like I think we we forget that, don't we? When we view in that way, we tend to think like, surely everyone would want to extend kindness towards me. I'm just such a lovely person. Like, Like who wouldn't want to be kind towards me? We forget we'd be on someone else's exception list. And actually, you'd certainly be on God's. But the second motivator comes now, and it's one of those amazing moments. You get, get several of these throughout the New Testament where we find the word but. And it's like everything changes. Often, it's but God. You're like, but God, who is rich in mercy, or but God. This is one of those moments. Remember, Paul's written, be kind to everyone. Extend kindness to everyone, everyone, everyone. And remember that you don't deserve it either. And remembering you don't deserve it, we get this but... From verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You don't deserve it. But God in his kindness appeared in the person of Jesus. And in his kindness, he came to you. He extended true 
active, effective kindness towards you. And guess what? It wasn't because you'd done a bean to deserve it. It wasn't because of works done by us. We didn't deserve it. You haven't deserved his kindness. But he's extended it towards you. And now those who look to him are washed clean, made new, regenerated, receive his very presence, the Holy Spirit, and have an eternal inheritance. God is so kind. God is so kind. (laughs) God is unfailingly, unendingly, incomparably kind. I just want you to let it sink in for a minute. Remember the Forbes article. Humanly speaking, those who are wealthy and powerful, what did that quote say, can be somewhat lacking in the kindness department. How remarkable then that the one who has all authority, the one who has all power, the one who holds the highest position imaginable, who is the name above all names, who rules and reigns supremely over all things. How remarkable then that he is kind. Kind towards you. Remember those reasons that we give, excuses that we make as we precondition our kindness. How remarkable that God doesn't deal with us in that kind of way. Who could ever repay him? Like seriously, who could ever even begin to try and repay God for what he provides for us? And, and what does he possibly stand to gain from extending kindness towards us? Like seriously, <laughs> the one who created all things, the one who has such authority that he simply says, let there be, and it happens, let there be light, light. <laughs> seriously. Like, what does he stand to gain from extending kindness to you? Nothing. But he gives, and he gives, and he gives. He created us. He sustains us. Literally everything we see and know and have comes from him in the first place. Just consider the kindness of God even to those who despise and reject him. Right now, even to those who shake their fists at him and say, God, I want nothing to do with you. He continues pouring out kindness towards them. Just look around. This common kindness towards all in creation. The beauty that he has provided for us. This incredible world in which we live. The breath that we breathe the fact that our hearts go on beating as a result of his sustaining. He's so kind. Even towards those who are his enemies. Incredible. 
And then his specific kindness in the work of Jesus. We read in Romans 5 that while we were still enemies, he came for us. True kindness, costly kindness. It's easy to repay good for good. But to repay kindness to those who hate you, who reject you, who say they want nothing to do with you, that's costly. It's what God asks of us. And it's what he gives to us. God is kind beyond measure. We delight in that fact. As we allow that great and glorious reality to sink into our hearts, it grows kindness in us towards others. When we realize how he's treated us, all that he's done for us, though we don't deserve it, how, how can we withhold that from others? when we've received so freely from his hand, when he's extended such incredible kindness towards us, how can we withhold that from others? I don't think we can, actually. (laughs) When we surrender to him, when we realize his kindness, it changes our hearts, softens our hearts, towards even our enemies. It doesn't mean it'll be easy. There are times when you'll be tempted to say, like, everyone, everyone? Like, even them? Remember Titus 3. God gently says, yeah, even them, and even you. (laughs) You haven't deserved my kindness, and yet I've poured it out. Go and do likewise. I want to pray for us, and then if we come back to worship, and David's going to be in communion as we respond to this. Lord, we thank you for your incredible kindness towards us. Lord, I thank you so much that you haven't treated us in a reciprocal way. You haven't treated us as our sins deserve. You haven't responded to us in the way that we have responded to you. But while we were still enemies, Christ, you came. You came. And you extended kindness You extended kindness in the most incredible way. You didn't just give something. You didn't just extend a measure of generosity. But Jesus, you gave up your life. You gave yourself completely for us. Such kindness such kindness. Lord, I pray for each one of us right now. 
Lord, that you would help us to see others the way that you do. Would you help us to extend kindness to others the way that you do? Lord, when we look on others and we attempted to precondition our kindness, when we look on others and we're tempted to say, everyone, everyone, Lord, I pray that you would remind us again of your kindness towards us. And that as we feel secure in that, as we feel comforted in that, as we celebrate in the fact (laughs) that you haven't treated us as our sins deserve. And Lord, I pray would you soften our hearts to others. Lord, would you teach us to be those who don't treat others in kind, but instead who always extend kindness for your glory and for the good of those around us. We ask it, Lord Jesus.